You with us, you win. Case closed. Touch HD. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to A Toast with Carrie. For this week, we've got some fun and exciting stuff on the go. Last Friday, a big literati affair in Cape Town, and the Diners Club Platter Awards came out together with the 2020 Diners Club Platter Guide. And, of course, it always sets everybody a buzz in, in my industry because it's a very big deal if you win five stars or four stars. And I think that still to this day, even though it's the 40th anniversary of the Platter Guide, people still place a lot of store by the ratings that come out of the Platter Guide. So I'm chatting to Luke O'Quinnigan from Glenelly, who is the winemaker, has been there for 12 years, and he was awarded two five-star platter um, awards for his Lady May and his Glenelly Red Estate Blend. We're chatting to him about that. And in the coming weeks, I'll chat to more people about their awards that they've received. And I will actually see if I can ask Cooks to put something on on a podcast for all of the platter awards so that you can have a check and see what you want to buy. But we'll chat about that later. And then, of course, I'm chatting to Kali Lowe, who is the winemaker and grower of all the grapes for a very, very special wine called Porcelainberg. And it's a collaboration. It's a wine that's owned by Mark Kent of Buchenholzkloof. And it's been very sought after for many years. This year is the first year that they've actually allowed some of it into the trade and available for normal mere mortals like you and me to drink. So I chat to Kali Lowe about Porcelainberg, how he's battled with the drought and where you can get these wines to. So fill up your glasses if you're in a space where you can have a glass. Otherwise, wait until you're at home and you can fill up a glass with something nice and listen to what we have to say for this week. Choose this day, this moment to be with the best. Touch HD. Well, today we've got lots of excitement in the studio because the Platter Five Star, well, Platter Guide was released in, in Cape Town last Friday. And, of course, the whole industry abuzz with who won what and who got what and who said what. And I've got Luke O'Quinnigan in the studio with me today. He is the winemaker from Glenelly, no stranger to the station. We've spoken before. And he scooped two five-star platter awards, which is no mean feat. Luke, hi. Hi there. It's great to be here. Thanks for joining us. How long have you been at Glenelly? It's actually for 12 years now. Oh, yeah. It doesn't, doesn't feel like that, but no. the time has certainly flown. Yep. A little bit about Lukey first to just remind my listeners. Before Glenelli, where were we? Well, I was a bit of a, a journeyman, I suppose, mm-hmm. with uh, working in Bordeaux for uh, a number of producers across there and also in the United States. But uh, on a local front, I spent uh, quite a few years working under the tutelage of Artie Bardenhorst when he was still at Rustenburg Wines. You can't get, really get much better than that, hey? No, we the can't. The fact that you survived it is a feather in your cap in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> but it was such a magnificent team that we worked with at that stage. I mean, if I think back to those days, it was quite a unique experience in the sense that it was Artie, uh, Kali Lowe was part of the team, uh, Chris Mullineux was Who I'm there. going to be speaking to a little bit later, yeah. Kali, actually. And... Uh, uh, Jean Smith was also there, so mm. it was a, it was a really nice. It was team a to breeding. Gu- it was a breeding ground for what I think today can be arguably counted as some of the top winemakers in the country. So really, really nice for you to be with us. Ida's Valley is 
obviously a very special little place for you because you you left Rustenburg and went to work for Lady Maida Lankasan. Yes. And she, of course, is a, a remarkable human being. Um, I've done, I've dedicated many a program to May. She is quite remarkable. I don't think we need to tell anybody how old she is because I wouldn't like somebody <laughs> to publicly declare my age. But she is definitely in the last stages of her career, I would say. And very bravely, I thought, 20 odd years ago, came and bought, came and bought Glen Ely. Yeah, well, she purchased it at the end of 2003. <clears throat> and then we started the planting process in 2004 and did the staggered plantings mm. going on. Um, but I think for me the beauty about working at Glenelia is spending time with her because yes. she has been such a, a trailblazer <clears throat> and she's always looked at taking the path less traveled. Yes. I mean, uh, if you go back into a time of uh, running Pichon, Mm. When she took it over, she decided to take the wines to the Asian market, yes. and she was one was, of the first. Well, she was the one that was responsible for breaking it open. Yes. And um, I think uh, nowadays she's held in great esteem for that because, as you mm. know, the Asian market is probably the most important market. Well, I think the wine industry would probably collapse without the Asian market at the it's, top end. Exactly. So, specifically, yeah. I mean, uh, yes, there's a lot of argument. Uh, that they say that it's driving the price of your leading Bordeaux so and, and, and everything. But, uh, I mean, somebody has to drive it. Exactly. So. Well, um, May, for those of my listeners who do buy lots of French wine, I can tell you that much. <laughs> she she is, was, Chateau Pichon, Longville, Lalande. Longville, Comtesse de Lalande. Comtesse yes. de Lalande. And that too in my estimation should really be um, a first growth in the world of of growths in wine it's a second growth in bordeaux and everybody who has tasted it loves it and knows what it is she came to south africa and bought this piece of ground when she was already in her 70s which i think was an amazingly brave thing to do I'm nowhere near my 70s and I already feel like I could give up works. <laughs> Her energy is boundless and unequaled. She appointed you and a team. Tell us what the game plan was 12 years ago when you got to Glen Ely. I think the 12 years ago when I got to Glen Ely, we were in our infancy and we were still trying to work out what was actually going on um, mm. because I think... If I can use the analogy of going back to my days at Rustenburg, we knew for ages what the vineyards went was. to, what yeah. block, uh, to what wines and everything like that. So we had no history on the property with it being a fruit farm and stuff. So it's all new to us. And we, are, we spent the f a number of years trying to work out how to do the viticulture on certain blocks to get mm. the optimum out. I mean... Logic would dictate that in Stellenbosch, most of the vineyards should be carrying at like you know, about seven to eight tons a hectare for quality. We found out that some of the blocks, if we cut them down to that, we lost quality. They're in better balance when we left them carrying a bit more. Really? That's um, interesting. There were other ones that we had to treat with more carefully. So, and I think that's only coming through into the wines now that we've yes. seen coming on the market, that we're seeing that's understanding. We've got more age to the vines um, coming through, so they've got a natural gravitas to them itself. Mm. Um, but I think what was fantastic and which was very unique for me as well is that Madame having such a 
incredible history and knowledge, she didn't impose anything on us, which was very Didn't unusual. she? No. Did um, she just guide you? Yeah, she came in and she said, you know, I'm coming from Bordeaux. It's a very, very different climate and everything. Um, you guys understand South Africa and stuff. So you take it forward. But what I'd like to see in the wines is ultimately I'd like to see elegance coming through and this underlying power mm. and things. And, and the key to it all is actually balance. And that's yes. what she really stressed. So that's what we are aiming for. And I suppose she threw down the gauntlet to me the first mm. time I met her in Bordeaux because mm. when I arrived at her house, um, she presented a, a bottle for us to drink that night and it was an 1873 Lafitte Rothschild to drink. <laughs> it's a bit of a hard act to follow. <laughs> exactly. And she <laughs> said, you know, this is what I want us to use as our benchmark and strive to achieve because wow. it's a wine that's got longevity, character and everything. And mm. it's been well over 100 years of age. It was a real eye opener to me. Um, so what wine should be. Exactly. Mm. And mm. Uh, I mean, it also paid tribute to, I remember spending time with uh, Charles from uh, Lafitte and he was talking to me about how wine should take you on a journey with it and it should constantly evolve and hold your mm -hmm. interest. And we tasted a number of vintages of Lafitte over a 12-hour period and it was incredible to see that the journey that it was taking and he was saying this is what wine's all about just a living entity it's it is it's living breathing and you know what i keep on telling everybody the best part about wine is the story that it tells so i love every single person that i interview has a story and i love to pull these stories out and the story of glenelli is one of innovation and adventure because you literally arrived on that farm i remember seeing it right in the very early stages there was nothing there well, Carrie, it was a the, mess the irony <laughs> is i worked right next door i'd never knew the farm existed <laughs> and i worked next door for five years so it was an absolute <coughs> mess and i remember looking at it and and May invited me to go and have some lunch or some tea or whatever it was with her when I was in Cape Town because I'd known her from before when I was living in England and I'd met her in, in Bordeaux. And I looked at it, I had some lunch with with Madame and I think it was her cousin or her nephew mm -hmm. who helps her a bit with, with the business. And I looked at it and I said to her, I cannot believe that you're gonna turn this into anything. It was a mess. And that was literally 12 or 13 years ago, I think. And to have two five-star platter winners just 12 years on, in the, in the history of a wine farm, 12 years is not a long time. If you consider that your vines really only start kicking in and giving you quality fruit by the time they're about seven or eight years old. So it's an incredible sort of catapult to greatness. What do you think you did correctly to get your wine so quickly to the platform that it's reached? I think it was about <clears throat> doing the correct selection of uh, varietals to soils mm. and aspect. So our viticultural team has to take a massive credit yes. for what they've done. Well, we'll salute all of them yeah. right here and right now. <laughs> and then my approach, I was, I was very lucky with Madame as well, in the sense that she, because of this, I wouldn't say cavalier attitude, but this very... Um, strident. She's very yeah, strident. And mm. she's very open to mm. new ideas and things. So 
our, my approach was from the beginning was to do things very naturally in the cellar and mm. just try and let the site express itself because for me that's the most uh, important thing because that's ultimately what your fingerprint is of it's the so encouraging you know more and more and more when i'm interviewing all of you guys you've all allowing the earth to tell its story before you tell your story from the cellar and it really is showing in the wine hugely yeah, well it, uh, i think uh, where it comes back to uh, carrie i think is it's a big misnomer that we have when we refer to wine industry because by referring to something as industry you're referring to it as an industrial process yes and the wines that we are striving to achieve in south africa these days are anything but industrial mm. we mm. really want their own personality exactly yeah. yeah and as you and your listeners are fully aware because it's a farming process the elements have such an important role to play so every vintage has its own character mm. and we have to express that character coming through mm. to give the individuality to the product yes. so the most part of your farm is planted to what the biggest section is planted to cap yes um but we've also got large sections dedicated to um chardonnay and uh, syrah Yes. And the reason she loved Syrah from the start. She's in fact, always I loved. I think your first blend was not a Bordeaux-style blend. It had Shiraz in it, didn't it? Yeah, and we have still kept the Syrah in the estate. We have just dropped the percentage down because we want to make a what we term an old-school claret. Yes, uh, where they used to in the 1700s yes. have a little bit of uh, Syrah in. But a lot of people question, like, why do you have Chardonnay and Syrah? And it goes back to Madame's childhood, really, because when she was growing up, although she grew up in Bordeaux in these chateaus, her uncles thought it was vital that the children got exposed to other wines outside Bordeaux. Mm -hmm. So they always used to drink Burgundy. They used to drink Rhones and things. Yes. So she fell in love with uh, Chardonnay and uh, uh, Syrah. And was one of the reasons why she loved coming to South Africa is that the shackles of Bordeaux legislation were gone, were gone. and she could plant what she wanted yes. in soils that were suited to it. Interesting. So the Lady May, which is your flagship, really, is a typical Bordeaux-style blend, is it? Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. It is a Bordeaux-style blend, um, and it's, the blend fluctuates. I always refer to it as Bordeaux, um, although in some vintages in the past it has been above 85% cab. Mm. But uh, it's what I deem our expression of a Bordeaux is in that vintage coming through. Um, and I know some people like to say, ah, oh, but you've got more than 85% cab or whatever, so it can't be a Bordeaux. My retort to them would be if you look <laughs> at a hundred point wine like Chateau Lafitte in 2003 that was 98 percent it was almost all cap, yeah. yeah in a more recent uh, time uh, something that's very close to our heart with Chateau Pichon I think if I remember correctly it was the 2012 vintage is 100 percent Cabernet really so, yeah so for me Bordeaux and Bordeaux blend is all about a f philosophical side Mm. of a, a wine and its expression that's coming through on it mm. and that's what we try and portray with the so the vintage that. that's just been awarded five stars is what for the estate and lady may it's both the 2014 vintage it's interesting and so it wasn't 2014 wasn't hailed as one of the blockbuster vintages of the se of the century was it <laughs> it wasn't but i think 
much like in, if I can use Bordeaux again, vintages tend to come in twos. And mm. I think what often happens is you'll have a stellar vintage that overshadows the vintage next door to it. Mm. So in the case of 14, I think there are some great wines and mm. everything out there, but because everybody's been speaking about 15, 15. Mm. it kind of gets forgotten. Mm. And you can look at the same in border. You have the 82, 83s, mm. you have 95, 96, you've got uh, 2000, 2001. Mm. So I've been drinking some of the 2012 Bordeaux because I, I actually love younger Bordeaux as well. Yeah. I, they have their merit. And 2012 was held as a ghastly vintage, and I'm surprised at how brilliant some of those 2012 vintages are from Bordeaux. But I think it often happens like that because uh, I've been in the fortunate position that I've managed to taste very old mm. Bordeaux. And we have tasted some vintages that in theory, would should have been written off. Yes. But actually, they beautifully... 2002 as well. Very, very hot. I mean... Ghastly vintage. Everybody thought they were going to be gone. Write them off. And they, some of them are quite nice. Yeah, exactly. So, and I think you just have to give them time to express themselves mm. coming through. So, from the winemaker's mouth, if anybody were to buy themselves a case of Lady May 2014... When's the optimum time to be drinking it? Or how long would you advise they cellar it for? I am a big proponent of leave it as long as you can. Are and, you? Yeah. And for for myself at the moment, I'm only drinking our 08 vintages. Really? No. Um, but of course, you have to store them immaculately. Yeah, you have that, to have a, a nice cellar. But I mean, there is... They do have drinkability if you want to drink them now mm. or if you give them a nice decantation, mm. you'll open it up. But I think there's a, a lot of charm when you manage to age a wine for a long time and you mm. have a, all your tertiary aromatics really coming into yes. to play in it. Um, and I think that's the joy of it then because they become much more dynamic wines to be able to pair with foods. Yes. Um, yes, they become hugely complicated and sulky the older they get. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> they really are. So. Those sulky old Bordeaux, I know that they do have a certain appeal. I love those the fresh brightness. For me, five years on South African Bordeaux-style blends is normally my optimum. Mm. I normally like to drink them when they're five years old. The If we were to explain the um, aromatics, the nose, and the palate of Lady May to the listeners, what would that be? Well, at the moment with Lady May, we've got uh, a lot of power behind behind it, but there's a, a elegance by its fine tannins and, and mm. structure that it, it has. That's my lasting memory. We've got these hugely refined tannins, tannins. so, so smooth and silky. And we've managed to achieve a nice freshness mm. in the wine as well. Which what is going gives to a wine freshness? I think it's a combination of factors coming through. Mm. I mean, if freshness can be coming through from certain aromatic characteristics that lead to that thought of freshness on the palate. I think it's, again, the balance of that acid exactly. and alkalinity. And then it's, and, it's yeah. ultimately your pH acid mm. ratios that you mm. also have. Mm. Um, and that's it's vital to a wine that, that has that going through for pairing with foods. Yes. Um, and it's also what holds your, keeps your palate um, awake that you right. can, yeah, mm. that you can uh, continue drinking mm. and enjoying it. What would you eat with your Lady May? At the moment, I would probably have a nice butterfly leg of lamb Oof. on the, the barbecue. 
sounds absolutely gorgeous. So, I've been banging on about Lady May because I do love it so much. It's probably one of the top wines in the country. But we've forgotten to actually cheer on and and congratulate your little estate blend, which is equally beautiful. Tell me about that. <coughs> well, I think the estate blend, it's, for me, it's a, it's a great wine that pays such homage to the historical clarets in the past with this. Mm. The 14 has 19% Syrah in it. That's quite high. Yeah. But I you've mean, got lovely Syrah on that farm. We've got very perfumed Syrah. Yeah. I know it's it's not necessarily everybody's cup of tea, the Syrah, but it. we love this more perfumed I do too. Uh, white that pepper. English violets and exactly. Pepper, beautiful. That's what we're looking for. And um, with it, I think you have to remember with the estate, you've got two big varietals that love to express themselves with the cab and the syrah so when it's young the syrah normally dominates up mm. front but as it ages the cab comes mm. through and then you have the influence of a, the likes of a cabernet franc and merlot as well and it just gives the wine a fantastic uh, dynamism to it mm. and um, the syrah leads to a sense of spiciness Yes. where you've got your other varietals bringing the fruit power and mm. freshness and everything that you and want. And you don't find that they fight like two puppies in a pillowcase? In the beginning they do, but they mm. settle down. I think uh, an analogy that I'd probably off the top of my head, it's a bit like watching a heavyweight boxing match. And or England and South Africa on the <laughs> rugby field. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you've got the one is the fast starter and yeah. the other one will ultimately win out over time. Yeah. But in the in initial phases they are a bit... Uh, they do clash a bit. Mm. You mentioned earlier to me that you are going organic. You have gone or you're in the process of? Or how We're in the process it? of going organic. So uh, this is the first year of doing the whole farm. Uh, with Organically. The organic, yeah, we have experimented. I was with Skulk um, Jubair on Monday night. In fact, I dashed in and out of Cape Town on Monday night. And he, of course, has moved to Cordoba, Cordoba as you yeah. know. And he said they've also gone organic, but he finds that he has to spray almost weekly with a, an organic spray that he does to stop the, the mold and the mildews and the what have you. So are you doing likewise? We do. We're actually speaking about it uh, uh, just before coming up. Um, we have probably double the number of sprays that mm. we've just Used, do you think that going spray? organic, a bit like going solar powered, really, do you think that it's going to ultimately have to push the price of wine up because it is more expensive to farm organically, isn't it? I think we, we're still finding our feet with organics. Yeah. Um, I think there's going to be mechanization that comes in to mm. help facilitate mm. that. Um, there's we also see. We hope the unions aren't listening. To that. <laughs> There's also um, new technologies that are coming out for spraying, for instance, yes. um, so that you're not using as much spray to get the penetration as with old technologies. Mm. I mean, I was in France uh, recently, and we were looking at uh, the new things that were coming out on the market, and for instance. Uh, <clears throat> There are spray pumps that are now recirculating spray. So you used yes. to have a lot of spray drift. Yeah. Now, it's now a, you don't. You don't have it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of things going on. Mm. <coughs> <are> you, <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> you yourself are suffering the effects of organics at the moment because you're full of hay fever. Exactly. <laughs> 
So, Luke, organic, we've gone. Anything else that we need to know about what's going to come out of Glenelli? Anything exciting or different from what we've got at the moment? I think we're just trying to bed down on what we do mm. and do it to the best of our abilities and get that expression of that property coming to its fore. And if the listeners want to come and visit at Glenelli, is it open to the public? It is open to the public. We're open uh, from Tuesday to Sunday. Okay. So we've got a tasting room and a, a bistro. There and the all. most beautiful wine cellar, a state-of-the-art wine cellar. I yeah. remember May building that cellar. So you're open Tuesday to Sunday, and they can come and have lunch. You're not open for dinners, are you? We're open for dinners on Thursdays to Saturdays. Oh, wow. Okay. Fantastic. And the Twitter handle, Facebook profile, Where? how, how do we get hold of you? Um, www.glenelly Glenelly Estate and it's G-L-E-N-E-L-L-Y and for any of you who don't know about Glenelly Wines I really, really, really strongly advise you know, everybody who comes on this program of mine is here for a reason and that's because their wine is blooming delicious so you can buy them all at Norman Goodfellows. I know I'm not supposed to say that, Cooks, am I? But they are all available at Norman Goodfellows, and I think that they are largely available everywhere in in um, in decent liquor outlets. So you can go to Ultra, you can go to Solly Kramers, you can go to Macro. Most of them are available. I'm not sure as to the availability of the Lady May. It's sometimes on a little bit of allocation, is it? No, there's, it's fairly Enough. widely available, yeah. Okay. So I think if you just go and speak to your retailer, he can certainly place an order and get some in if he doesn't have it well, already that's on the, the shelf. That's the expression of a truly great winemaker is to make enough great wine for everybody to taste rather than one barrel of great wine that only just a few get to well, taste. Well, I think that's the challenge that we're facing in South Africa at the moment is to try and get these great wines that we're already producing but to get them on a on a volume level. I yeah. mean, I was looking at, for instance, uh, Penfold's Grange the other day <coughs> and uh, they're now producing... Uh, between seven and 9,000 cases of 12 of it. And it's if, a lot. <laughs> and if you're looking at uh, Chateau Lafitte, for instance, that's 35,000 cases by 12. 35,000 <laughs> cases. So it's, uh, it's to try and get that volume up and keep the quality there. And there's no doubt in my mind that we can do it. So I have no doubt in my mind that you can do it. I've watched you come from, really from zero to hero. You, you arrived on that farm not a single vineyard in place, not a vine in place, to two five-stars 12 years later. Congratulations. It's such an amazing feat. Thanks, Luke. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Listen to the future on Touch HD.